0: hello and welcome to the september edition of the cenotopia podcast um i'm amanda a founder of cenotopia and i'm here with some regulars uh we're back we missed august because we were a bit busy, all of us, but I'm here with my producer, uh, Jim Ross. Jim, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you.
0: Good, and uh, also back with some of our um, fantastic regulars, Simon, who's in London right now. How are you, Simon?
2: Hey, yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, busy summer, but happy to get back to watching films and talking about them.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm ha- I'm more excited to be watching films this weekend than uh, running film events, uh, but which I've I've done a lot of and we're also back with Steph um Steph how are you doing hi
3: Amanda yeah I'm great um it have been a, a busy couple of months for me as well so it's really happy really happy to be back here embrace some sort of normality missed it and happy to be talking about some new releases as well since it's um within festival times it's all quite exciting
0: yeah and it is festival season um or the start of festival season I was curious if all of you have, uh, been going to film festivals online or, um, you know, in person and, uh, what, how, how you've, um, been enjoying it, um, you know, the new hybrid versions of these festivals.
1: I, um, I haven't made it in person yet. I've, 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 I've viewed some stuff at the online Toronto and I've bought a couple of tickets for London, um. So there's a couple of films I want to see there which I've I've bought for physical screening. So you know it's the old thing. We'll see how it, we'll see how the situation is in like you know, whatever it is, a month or so before I go. But um yeah, I've been to the cinema a few times. I think the hybrid format is working pretty well for me. I think. Um, you know, I think it's kind of it's a little bit more closed off than it was this time last year when I think everybody had to go digital first almost rather than even hybrid so it's not maybe you're not maybe getting to see quite as much as you were last year but i think it it, it, i think it's something that's probably going to stick around and i think it's working quite well for me you do get a chance to see a lot more other festivals than you otherwise would
2: yeah i really like the hybrid format for giving access to to uh, film festivals that i wouldn't be able to access otherwise geographically um so i covered fantasia fest a few films at fantasia fest for take one um and since i am in london i really should book some some screenings at the london film fest i just haven't had the time to look through the uh, public screenings yet but i understand tickets go on sale next week so i need to I need to have a look.
3: Yeah, I've been loving the accessibility with festivals recently as well. I was um covered a few things off and on with um the cans, a bit of Perlovivari and then um Fantasia as well. Um I've not made it in person, unfortunately, um this year. I think everything's just a bit out of the way for me. Um, but I'm hoping to in the next year or so make an effort to get to those um, festivals in person because I'm always a little bit jealous seeing everyone um all hyped up at the event um at the event. So Hopefully, and sometime soon, we'll get to experience a different from, you know, the remote screeners and such, but always grateful for the accessibility, like Simon was saying, not every, it's not always a possibility to get everywhere. So when people make the effort to give them to send it your way, then it's always appreciated.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it really is important and useful for critics around the world um, and for obviously accessibility, or for the filmmakers themselves to then get a farther reach and stuff. So hopefully that continues and that's a benefit for everybody within the industry. Um, and But obviously there's these great things that uh, in-person film festivals bring. Um, I was not able to attend the Edinburgh International Film Festival this year because I was part of running a f- touring film festival in uh, Scotland, the Cinescapes uh, Festival, uh, which we tour films across Scotland that are inspired by locations in the locations that they were. And um, we were doing, well, we started with Trainspotting, then we went to, in in Leith, and then we went to Under the Skin in Glasgow. And Mm -hmm. then we did Ne Passeron and in East Kilbride as the last one we're doing, we did. Then we took a whole uh, tour of Edinburgh with um, our archive film uh, project that I worked on uh, called Redrawing Edinburgh with the City Art- City Council Archives. I just finished that. It was five screenings. So I think it was a couple weeks ago. I actually ran seven film screenings in one week outdoors, and that was the most perfect week ever to run something because it was only a little bit of rain. There was one percent of rain, one percent chance of rain in castorfin in Edinburgh, and of course it rained a little bit because that's. That's how it works for me and Outdoor Cinema, we've learned. But, um, but yeah, just finished all of that up on last evening um, in Leith again with the Redraw in Edinburgh, and it was a fantastic showing. A lot of Leithers came out and really, really appreciate all that all of you who are listening who have been and part of our Cinescapes um, project, which is a collaboration between Edinburgh Cinema Club and Cinetopia. We are going to open next weekend um, or this weekend, the Friday, the 24th. But you can also check out the film we're showing Aquarella, which is a film about water and all of its all of its beauty and uh, danger and whatnot uh, by director by Victor Kostakoski. And uh, we'll be showing it in the McKaig's Tower atop Oban. It's hopefully going to be a gorgeous night and a gorgeous screening. I hope so. But it will also be online as well. So please check out Cinescapes.co.uk to to watch the film if you'd like. Um, uh, starting on Friday, the 24th, and check out our website if you'd like to know more about what we're planning to do in the future. But we're back to talking about films that are in cinemas or online now. And on this podcast, we are going to review four films um, that are currently out in the UK. Um, Annette is the first one, uh, director Leo Carex, which is now out in the UK in cinemas, but also in the US. Um, The second film we're going to review is Rose Plays Julie, uh, director Joe Lawler and Christine Malloy. Uh, The third film we're going to review is Gagarin, uh, which is directed by Fanny Leotard and Jeremy Trull. I think I got that right. And then the final one uh, is Last Forest, which is Luis Bolognese. And that is part of the Take One Action a uh, film festival that's currently, um, well, as of tomorrow, uh, going to be in Edinburgh. I think also in Glasgow as well and Aberdeen, um, in from the 22nd to the 26th, I believe, in Edinburgh at least. Also online, um, so you'll be able to see The Last Forest online as well. But we highly recommend that film festival. It's it's a longstanding film festival. Um, that has incredible films that really are about social change social and political um, action and it's really run in this very amazing unique way and it's always a great experience when you go or now they have it online as well so we highly recommend checking that out as well so that's all that's all that we have uh, for this show it's it's bound to be a good discussion as always
2: first time I fell in love, woke up next to the girl, and escaped fast and far. But Anne has changed me. What I see in her is obvious. What she sees in me is, hmm, That's a little more puzzling. One two
0: three four. So may we start, may we start, may we, may we start. So may we start, may we start, may we, start, may, we, start, may, we start, may we start. There she is. Uh, uh, it. So the first film we're going to review uh, this month is. Annette, which uh, premiered at the Cannes Film Festival this year, director Lee, Leos Carax. Um, it's, uh, well, uh, Simon, tell us about this film. What, what is this about?
2: So Annette is uh, a musical, an operatic musical, uh, written, music and books by Sparks, uh, the Sparks Brothers, uh, who are the subject of a recent documentary uh, by Edgar Wright. But this is a, a sort of musical uh, film writing debut. Um, it follows Henry, played by Adam Driver, who is a kind of edgy, provocative comedian, uh, and Anne, who is uh, an opera singer, uh, much, much beloved by the public. Um, and Henry and Anne start a love affair. The, in- the public are very interested in the love affair, uh, the sort of showbiz news covers covers them getting together and getting married and starting a family as they uh, yeah have a little girl called annette who is in the film played by a puppet i don't want to give too much away the film sort of continues from there um and it's a kind of operatic tragedy about about fame about patriarchal exploitation about white man's rage um yeah, I'm interested to to hear what everyone else thought of it.
1: There's a lot to unpack in this. <laughs> um, yes, I there think. Is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it, it's 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 a hard one to find an an into to talk about. Right, it's hard to know where to start because there is there there is a lot here. What what I will lead off with is so Leo Carracks. So, so is I think I'm pretty sure it was his last film because he's he, he makes he makes things fairly infrequently. Was Holy Motors, uh, yeah, and that right. was a, that that was a film I that was a film I loved. I liked that a lot. I saw it the Cambridge Film Festival the year it came out. Um, it is it is I would say a little bit different to that. It's a bit more bizarrely for I think maybe the way we're going to end up talking about this. I think it's a slightly more accessible film than Holy Motors was. Um, I shouldn't like this film um you know it's it it is very much a musical the dialogue is by and large sung um it's very much coordinated around musical numbers and recurring musical motifs and there's one in particular uh which is quite important to also kind of the the progression of the i mean the the plot right um but I really, really enjoyed this, really from the opening moment. Now, I haven't seen the Edgar Wright documentary about the Sparks, but I, did, I, I didn't I did know they were actually involved with in this until I sat down to watch it, frankly. Um, but I recognised them from the opening. It opens in this kind of like quite meta way with a song called So May We Start, where it kind of like then just goes into the, the actual progression of the, the story. I got a lot out of this. Um, I think I think Simon summed it up really quite well at the start. There were there's a lot of things going on here about um, exploitation. There's a lot of things going on about there's one aspect of it which we might get to, which I think didn't sit particularly amazingly in the sense that I don't think it was particularly well dealt with, but there is a lot about um, male artistic arrogance as well i think so adam driver is the centerpiece of this like henry mchenry and he's this kind of like vaguely offensive kind of shock comedian um and it's those those segments where the where he's showing his stand-up routine i actually find particularly interesting because there's a lot of there's a lot of showing the performative nature of also being part of the audience in that, right? So there's a lot about kind of like what he's presenting and so forth, but there's quite a few bits where, for instance, he has this little rap interlude and he finishes it by just shouting clap at the audience and they go ahead and they clap. So there's a lot of interesting stuff there. I think once we get later into the film, um, without giving too much about what happens, I think there's quite a lot of stuff about... How you value the people in your life and how you how you try and have success vicariously through them, I think is maybe the the way I would look at it. Um, I'm interested to see what what aspects other people have picked up on though, because I've got a couple of things written down here, and I don't know if they're just specific to mine. So I, I will I will stop talking for the moment because you could talk about this film endlessly, quite frankly, and then just see what uh, Amanda or Steph thought, thought about it.
0: Well. Just to come in, when I first when I first saw the film, I thought that a it's completely mad. It's just like a mad film, uh, and I'm not seeing any of Carax's other stuff, so I wasn't expecting what I was going to see. You know, I was thinking Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard. Yes, it seems quite uh, surreal, or you know, like all the imagery and whatnot. Um, I mean, certainly, it's like it's a musical, um, and I don't know enough enough about the Sparks Brothers to be honest at all. I haven't seen the documentary yet. I'm cu- very curious about the documentary um, and, and and their story. Uh, a colleague of mine in New York says it's his favorite band and they did a lot of work with, um, collaborated with Jacques Tati, which is one of my favorite uh, directors. Uh, so, or, to, or attempted to uh, the later part of his life. Um, it's definitely like the anti-La La Land is the only thing I could first say is that, you know, La La Land is, glorifying a certain kind of idealized L.A. And um, and as you mentioned, this meta thing, it's very like meta-anti... Uh, L.A.'s landscape is so different and dark, including having this very strange puppet, you know, as your daughter, uh, is, is quite bizarre. And why, why I actually, on one side, think the film is quite cool and, you know, quite... Symb- there's obviously lots of so- symbols and colors and the all of that seems to be very clear with the way that that that's filmed with the with the set design and it's 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 quite stunning but also very dark as well um I think he I, I did watch a and a with him where he didn't seem to you know he does he doesn't give and he's very mysterious as well and people are like well what is the ending supposed to mean and it's like the David Lynch like why would you ask David Lynch what's in the box you know it's they, he's he's not going to tell you um but uh Yeah, I'll start with that. I think I'm 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 a bit torn. I wouldn't say that I loved this film, but the more I I think it's the film that sticks with you. And I do find it funny, Jim, that you liked it and you don't like you you like the puppets, but you don't like um, being John Malkovich. But anyway, um, you Mm -hmm. know. Um,
3: I am going to start with the positives because (laughs) before we move on, because as a whole, to be honest, it wasn't a film that I really connected with at all. Um. Not that, the, not that it was, you know, I didn't hate every single part of it, but there were parts that I did quite like. So I will start with that before we move on to a bigger discussion about about Annette. Um, so I think in a stylistic sense, there were things that worked quite well for me because I liked the whole, I loved the whole visual me- metaphor and the way that the film developed because it's one, because it is one of those films that kind of glide through an erratic array of genres that can feel a bit difficult to follow, and there's a lot of shifts in that narrative, and it becomes difficult to kind of outline what genre we're we're kind of at at certain points. So in that regard, I like the way it kind of used the structure of opera and to move from you know the the period of love, desire, and euphoria to tragedy, death, and sadness, and all those things. And I think it works well because you have Anne's character, who is an opera singer and a performer, so you can easily see where the parts of the story feed from those conventions and later how they will influence the shape of the plot, almost kind of foreboding without it being too obvious, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, I think there are a lot of elements that kind of run away with themselves and leave some of the, its viewership behind. But I did like that there was a lot of care and attention to Adam Driver's character, because, which is good because that is who you spend most of the film with and I would kind of describe that character as quite a slow burner because you get kind of to see reveals and changes in his character before much of the action follows suit. So you know it's quite a complex character and the different faces and masks that go with his presence in the film. I think the pace was perfect when you're looking at that development and you're seeing kind of and then you can kind of appreciate more what escalates in that degree and it keeps you quite invested. Um, I'm also not quite sure because if like Holy Motors this was another Carax ode to cinema I'm not. There was points to me where I was kind of like, "Is this based on another film?" Although that might just be me trying to look for things to give it a larger context. I felt like I was missing out on quite a, a lot that I I just wasn't getting from it. So I mean, even the whole I think we already mentioned the Henry's like terrible stand up. That kind of had like a nod to like that the Joker in my eyes, and I was like, "Why?" I was like, "I hope that's kind of a nod because I to me that did some kind of and um, satirical edge, but." There were there were bits in it where I was like, oh, okay, I kind of like how that stylized, and I kind of like how that's kind of that has that kind of metaphor next to each other between the opera and the themes are going to be explored and how that's going to be revealed, and it was quite, um, you know, it was kind of showing the way that the cinema is often quite like the opera and it has all these kind of edges to it. So I'll, I'll I'll leave it there for now because that's what I that's what I liked about the film. Let's see. But when did you not like? You didn't... <laughs> um, well, to be honest, the whole film made me, made me feel a little empty because I, I think that when it got to the bit that the first moment I kind of started to disconnect with the film quite a lot was when it started to address kind of the serious subjects like domestic violence because you had this kind of Hollywood side and influence where fame and fortune collides into that almost venomous desire to remain relevant in showbiz and I thought that was a really intriguing way to show like kind of the flamboyant roots to those kind of dark products of self-obsession that can form in these industries. It was almost like Mulholland Drive without the compelling commentary on Hollywood culture to me but as the theme kind of as it got quite centralised, that because that was to me a big part of like the the dark part of this film is it's all a a, a a a tale about domestic violence and where that goes to like for me that's kind of what I got from it, but where that kind of became really a focal point in that, I didn't see to me there needed to be more division between that kind of dreamscape. Of Carax's kind of Hollywood tragedy, and then Henry's role in his own self pitying performance, because I kind of feel like it started to become a little too romanticized. And that's sort of where I began to disconnect majorly. So that was the first part. And I don't, and another massive problem for me, I, I, I hope it doesn't come across as too petty, but the puppet was very distracting and not in a good way. And I think the attention. The intention behind it was to be fair quite well-meaning which I'm pleased with because I didn't want to use the word pretentious to describe this because it is an art film and I find that it can be quite a redu- reductive outlook in my head like as the plot was kind of reaching that climax I could see that the puppet was meant to be very representative of the way that Henry sort of perceives people around him as objects that can be exploited and thrown or thrown away entirely but I don't really think I don't necessarily think that that needed to be emphasised through a puppet. I feel like that was something that was made quite clear as we delve deeper into Henry's character, anyway. So these were sort of some of the things that I think were obstacles for me to really get, really become, really invested in the film because so there were things that didn't that didn't really make sense to me and the whole and the wider depiction of what I thought the film was about.
2: I fully agree with you, Steph. Um, I think. I think there are several distancing effects at play in the film, uh, and I think they are deliberate. Most notably, like you said, the uncanny puppet who plays Annette, who turns out to be a really pivotal character. Um, and, and that is intentional. That does feel uh, sort of Brechtian. It's meant to distance you. But while being aware of them, I found that they did make the film too distancing. It pushed me, away, the film pushed me away from sincerely engaging with it, from engaging with these characters. Um, and I think that's a problem for the themes that it was trying to address. This, these kinds of themes that, that Steph's mentioned, toxic masculinity, um, domestic violence. I, I felt like we've seen this kind of story about toxic masculinity before, Um Recently, in *Promising Young Woman*, um, Adam Driver's Adam Driver's character sort of reminded me of Bo Burnham in that film. Um, but we've seen this kind of story from the the the, the Nietzschean male perspective before, um, and it felt like this film was confused in what it was trying to say. In in trying to engage with, uh, there's one scene that tries to engage with the Me Too movement. Um, and in trying to engage with these themes about domestic violence, it feels like it's underserving all of these very serious and very contemporary themes with its kind of fantasia with its stylistic excess. Um, so it really didn't work for me at all.
0: Um, I think listening to, um, Carax talk about the film, it, you, you realize that the idea actually came from the Sparks brothers and, uh, And they had this theme and they proposed it to him. And then he, this is his take on it in in a lot of ways. And um, I I think that there's some, some, and and the mention of the puppet is that, you know, there was like, in terms of casting and and whatnot, of of, of how he would respond to their story and make it his own and and whatnot. I think he made that quite clear, but I I do, I do completely agree with you on the fact that it does feel like I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't really connect with the, connect with it you just I didn't have a, a visceral response my visceral response was not completely into you know an emotional re- positively response and it, it just it does feel feel like you're pushed away from from these you know these themes I think musicals do that in general sometimes for me as well and then this meta thing I think you Jimmy you mentioned the 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 performances um, I found those distracting the choruses and stuff like that I think sometimes those meta elements, specifically in French films, because I think it's like, we, we've we seen it and we saw it with French New Wave. You guys did it, you know, they, they did it fine then, you know, and then they're constantly bringing back this, like, you know, a film is a film and, you know, and and these these aspects of meta that really, that we don't need to see consistently unless it's done in, in a way that I think is unique. Um, but I do think the puppet works because I mean, I guess there's just been so many memes and uh, and just general like people showing up at the Met Gala with puppets and stuff like that. You know, um, I think it worked because of the bizarreness and and, and a way to kind of deal with that um, and it might, which might not have worked with, you know. So as-
1: what we're saying is based upon what everybody has said so far is there's a Leo Karnak's musical, yeah, a musical, right? I emphasize that. Where one of the main characters is played by like a marionette puppet, and yep. we're saying I am the one who has come out liking this the most.
0: That's why I'm very confused. Yeah, I think like the I, world I, is I think this,
1: turned upside yeah. down over the last summer. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Happened? Yeah, I think this 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 demonstrates ex- exactly <laughs> what a bizarre film this actually is. COVID um, times. Yeah, I mean, it needs to say. I don't think Steph's statement, "I didn't hate every single part of it is likely to make it onto the poster for the <laughs> the, the, the home release. To be honest, um
3: Do you, you know what? That came across much more harshly than I was actually in, intending it to. Because there were there were some bits that I actually found quite interesting with the film. I think just as Simon was saying as well. I think that the more the more things that eventually just disconnect you from it it's, it's difficult to kind of get out of that pit when you when you feel no longer that you um are kind of getting what what this film is at all because you're so pushed away from it and it is quite Brechtian and it's um I think that's fine if you've kind of with the bizarreness or something that you can take from it and interpret kind of what you feel this is about but I feel like it was just so exhausting by the end of the, all these things happening and all these things that I found just deeply that didn't didn't make sense in the context of what it was actually talking about. I think that's where the problems kind of lied for me.
1: For me, for me though, like so, everybody's spoken about the distancing aspects. For me, that's actually kind of why it worked, right? Because a lot of this comes down, a lot of what the film seems to end up talking about comes down to what is a performance, right? you know, what what where is that boundary between? what some of these characters are really feeling and expressing and just performativity, right? Because there's a lot of these little inserts as well that are kind of like these very kind of like, you know, cheap looking kind of paparazzi type stories about the couple, right? And, you know, they're a performance in and of themselves. And then you've got the, you know, you've got this motif with the the daughter being played by, you know, a, a puppet, a literal, a literal kind of, you know, performance prop, basically. And then, you know, and it's actually, it's interesting that like mentions Bo Burnham, because the, there's parts of the way Henry goes about his business in this film that reminded me of um, there's a Bo Burnham thing from back to, like, when he was first breaking out, goes, art is dead. And there was something a little bit similar to that to me in terms of, you know, how much, like, what is this for? What did, and I, I think a lot of the stuff that happens with the daughter later in the film kind of plays into that. And it's just this thing. Like at one point in his stand-up routine, he says, addressing the audience, "Don't leave me. You bore me." And it's like you know, it, it doesn't really care. It's all about the performance, right? It's all about being seen, being seen to be successful and creative. And then once that kind of starts to turn on them, how that. Affects his own perception of his kind of like self worth, and then how that then reflects in his relationship with uh, Marion Cotillard's Anne. And it, there's just little things about kind of like there being such a fine line sometimes between these two things. I also the one scene that's really stuck in my head is when Henry is watching Anne in the opera that she's you know garnering all sorts of plaudits for. And there's a scene where there's a scene where she dies in the in you know in in the opera. And he watches this and it's kind of like this very very kind of like subtle little moment where they linger on Adam Driver's face where it's like he he's almost relieved that she's not but it's like it's strange that he thought that he's connected with it in that way. There were lots of little pieces that for me kind of stood out there. I agree that I don't think it necessarily all comes together as well as it should. Um, I think the the thing that Simon highlighted about, there's a very brief scene that, which I was expecting more to be made of, um, which alludes to the Me Too movement, and that felt like a very perfunctory bolt-on, you know, and I, I think there's maybe a few other things that haven't stuck in my head that probably fit into that same category as well. So... There's a lot of ideas floating around. I think I glommed on to, you know, some which I think have really stuck in my head. But that scene that Simon spoke about is a prime example of one which didn't, frankly. Um, And it came to a lot less than I was really expecting. And I think based upon what you're all saying about it, I think it's a fair enough... I think it's a fair enough takeaway from this film to look at that and think there are other things... That didn't come off as well as they as they could have. In my case, I've obviously found a couple, but that's that's that. I, I in no way would I claim that was universal for all aspects of the film. I'm
3: going to say that I found the the me too scene really tacky. I don't. It just. It was such a throwaway scene. Yeah. That, yeah. And I don't know why it was a throwaway scene because it was obviously trying to hit. Like I know that it was meant to be within a dream, so it was. It was meant to be like a kind of foreboding essence of like. And the changes are going to come in Henry's character. But you know, it's such a strange way to show like throw such a big massive kind of cultural phenomenon that's happened recently um for no real apparent reason and to like move on to a character arc without really ever going back to that to begin with. So I was really I found that really confusing as well. I didn't, I think that people, I think to be fair, there will be quite a lot of ways to look at that and see how that kind of maybe does work and it is going back to that whole kind of um kind of white male violence and within those industries and how that's um, kind of become acceptable but I, I don't think that you can throw in something as big as the me too movement in that clip and just never address it again that's yeah. why to me it came off a little bit superficial and tacky.
0: I think just having it in there is tacky, and I agree. And I don't think that was I, I I I don't even know what the intention of it was, but it wasn't to me. It wasn't a main theme of the film. It was some sort of change in the relationship from infatuation to then you know some you know a change into this you know this this love like they're singing oh I love it. I love I love you I love you I love you in this you know song or whatever, and then it becomes and more of a around control. And I think I also felt like control was a huge control and sort of physicality or whatever. And like you said, perform performative sort of being a performer and being physical and, you know, strangling yourself on stage or whatever, you know, was why Adam driver was chosen in a lot of ways as well. And, um, I'm curious what everyone's thinking of his performance in this, because people are talking about that as being, fantastic and whatnot. Um I'm not a huge Adam Driver fan. I was more of an Adam Driver fan in marriage story to be honest than in this film. But yeah um...
2: I, I I thought the same. I thought he and Cottiard were both wasted or, or let down by the script. Um because I, I don't think we get their best performances out of either. And that they're, they're strong talents like Cottiard obviously and Ad, Adam Driver recently in, in like marriage story and stuff. I don't think. I think both those characters are underserved by the um, excess of themes that are flying around. Um, the character I connected to most is Simon Helberg's nameless accompanist
0: um, composer. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, who who gets to experience some some complex emotion, but doesn't get to explore it in any kind of depth? Um, yeah. Which to, to to come back to Jim's point about all these themes going around and how he clumbed onto some of them. I think it just does have an excess of themes. It's trying to say something about too many things. Um, So I, I did get quite attached to the theme about patriarchal exploitation. And there's one scene where Annette, the baby starts flying on stage and starts singing. And I, I did find myself crying at that scene, but just for a moment. And then it completely went away because it, it wasn't exploring it in, in, in the depth that, that I thought it needed. It also reminded me of um, there is a, there's a postmodern quality to, to the opera and to how the opera is used in it. Um, it's all very knowing. But there's a line uh, in Future Armour where the robot devil is talking about opera and it was stuck in my head all the way through where the <laughs> robot devil says, you can't just have your character say how they're feeling. That makes me angry.
1: <laughs> I thought that was especially
2: descriptive of the um, we love you each other so that, much You said that, it's kind of like
1: the scales have fallen from my yeah. eyes after you said that. Yeah, yeah.
2: It, it's meant to be knowing, but I just didn't engage with it.
0: yeah. Well, no, I, think it is, I think it's. I think fair enough. It's a bit confusing, and we've now learned that uh, Jim likes puppets a little bit more than he, he did
1: before. <laughs> and musicals. <laughs> and I, <yeah>. I mean, <laughs> frankly, based upon the description of this film, you told me I was the one who was the most positive about this film. No, Afterwards, I would have told you you're all you were going to be mad, but you know. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask what everyone thought about the music as well.
0: I'm not, I would really was not a fan, but again, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not a Sparks fan. I'm curious about learning why I should be. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's obviously I've definitely heard Sparks music in the past and it must, must not, it does not resonate with me completely, but I didn't, I didn't love it, but. That's I, maybe
1: just me. I think they got their pitch right. And, and I don't mean that in the musical pitch sense. I mean, in terms of like how they sell it, because I think that the the song it opens with, that song you start me for the, that. That's been going around in my head, like constantly since yeah. I thought that was good. I think the recurring motif of um, we love each other so much, that one, I think, you know, I, I overall, I kind of, I, I like the music. I don't think... I, I think when I think about this film in the future, the things that I will remember will be some of the stuff i spoke about. I don't think it's necessarily going to be the music, if I'm honest.
2: But. Yeah, for me, the standout tracks were So May We Start and We Love Each Other So Much, uh, which about fairly early in the film. Mm. And I, I I quite like Sparks. I've, I've got nothing against Sparks. Um, I've been listening to them on Spotify this week. Um, but the rest of the music really didn't do anything for me either, which... Isn't great in a, a musical, and one yeah, written I, by Sparks too.
3: Yeah, I don't want. I hate to say something else that's negative because I've been such so negative this whole review. Do you, but, Steph? Um,
1: do you hate it?
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I mean, I have to. I have to be honest, I suppose. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know much about Sparks either. So to be fair, by my, my experience of them has been just through this film, and I do agree that I think actually the songs were were in good pitch with. This, the kind of style of this film. But um, I would be lying to say that for a musical, I found many of them very memorable. I didn't really, I think as soon as I'd like switched off from the film, I'd be struggling to recite many of the songs after. And to be fair, I'm not. I wouldn't say that I'm a musical obsessive. There's some that I like and some that I don't like, like most things. But, you know, even the ones I don't particularly engage with, I still annoyingly have all their songs kind of swimming around my head the next few days, and this wasn't really the case for this film. I struggled to, except for the ones that were... The, the, the um, opening one was quite interesting, and then the ones that kind of were weaved through the whole thing, like a kind of mantra throughout the whole film. They, they obviously, you couldn't escape them, so they were in your head, but the rest of them, I'd be... You know, I couldn't reset you anything else, to be honest.
0: The opening was one; well, it was the one that annoyed me the most. But I think it's because of that meta, yeah, opening. <laughs> so, but, it's just, but la- I, it's just the language had...
1: everybody's using. Escape from <laughs> annoys me the most. I, 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 th-
0: I think we are literally a room of non-musical <laughs> lovers here, and I, I think because I, I was in around a table yesterday of musical lovers. One who, who basically had said, "This is mad," but I love it. And um, and I can I, you know maybe maybe we sh- we need some musical lovers to tell us you know what they think as well. So if you do and you want to reply back to us and let us know uh, uh, let let us know what you think about the film, but definitely go see it. And uh, if if you if you if that's if it sounds like your your kind your cup of tea. Mm.
1: Can I ask you something? Yeah. Have you seen him?
2: No.
3: Yes, I have. From a distance a couple of times. I see. Doesn't it bother you
2: that he's out there, acting as if nothing happened? See? That's how it looked to me, and I am
3: struggling, really struggling with how that makes me feel.
0: So the next film we're going to review is Rose Plays Julie uh, and Jim tell us about this film
1: so this it's been kicking around for a while actually I think it was at London Film Festival in 2019 but it's actually finally got a release now Um, so Rose Plays Julie the the main character uh, played by Anne Skelly is Rose uh, of the title and she's a vet a veterinary student and basically she Has found she found out a a while ago that she is adopted and she seeks to uh find her birth mother, uh, who is uh played by Orla Brady and she is Ellen and is an actress in London. And we, we end up like the film opens with this kind of interesting, um, this interesting setup where she's having her normal day going about at the vet school and it's intercut with this quite violent imagery of a police officer um, facing down like a, a woman covered in blood and it very quickly becomes apparent that what she's actually doing it's not a dream sequence it's not a flashback anything like that it's actually her observing her mother um, in a tv program or a film that she is acted in so she goes to basically connect with her mother and find out more about her life and her um, her current family and basically where she came from. There's this kind of this sense of trying to find a sense of belonging somewhere. You can sense there's kind of a loneliness to, to Rose. And she finds out that her, her birth name is Julie, hence the title Rose plays Julie. Um, And obviously, as a part of this, she also seeks to try and reconnect or track down her biological father as well. Now, I'm not going to go into too many details beyond that, um, because most of what I've mentioned in detail there happens in kind of the first quarter of the film, something like that. Um, And it does take a couple of, I don't want to say twists and turns, because that implies there's sort of a shock value to any of this, and I think the film approaches and weaves different things in quite intelligently so i don't want to give the impression that it's you know trying to pull the wool over your eyes at any point or anything but i think it's i think it's probably better to try and discover some of this stuff as the film goes along i really like this um i think the performances are all superb uh, i've mentioned two of them already um the father peter is played by Aidan gillen who i've got a lot of time for him, but the has a particular character type that he plays extremely well, I think. Um, I think this is a very smart film. I think it's a very intelligent film. It creates atmosphere superbly. Um, And I think before we get into detail, I want to mention the music as a part of that. I think it's absolutely superb in this film. Um, I'll let Steph and Simon take it from here. But for me, this is... I'm interested to see what people think of it, because there are a couple of comparisons floating around in my head that I want to see if anybody else um, is going to bring up. But I I was a big fan of this. I think the the way it is shot, the way it is acted, it all comes together superbly. And I was pretty gripped from start to finish, to be honest. I
3: completely agree. I really, really like this film. I think... I think the most impressive kind of feature of this film is the way that it shifts and uses tone to move away from cultural traditions and, story- and storytelling. So you almost feel like you're very close to watching a character move into a stereotype and it flips completely. And it's really refreshing to see in cinema. I always like when films try and move into um, unconventional approaches that work, that, that are trying to do something purposeful. And I like the, the different gaze this film has as well because... Even though you sympathise with Rose's desire to understand her roots, your sorrow lies much more with Ellen, whose privacy and identity has been invaded by Rose. And it does that, it manages to do that without having to make Rose into some hyperbolic antagonist at the same time. And I I loved the way that it developed a relationship between those two characters because it, it helped as well because all the performances in this film are really, really impressive. And the relationship between Ellen and Rose kind of Kind of also develops quite unconventionally but in a way that wants to keep that undertone of um, genuinity to their journey and what they find through each other. I think it's a film that you you feel that you have the answer at numerous different points and then there's a change to the characters and the response and the responses in your, your head that you expect to pour out onto the screen never kind of match these preconceived notions that you have in your head about what this film is going to become. I think with the films we're discussing tonight it's an interesting mix when we look at narrative functions in film and this one is this is the one that I think has the most going on but it's so subtle at the same time it's so mesmerizing how it leads it kind of leads you to so many places from such small shift in the writing and character arcs and you know when you and then when you kind of get introduced to this um, Rose's birth father Peter later on there's kind of a real kind of innovative approach to how Rose and Ellen's relationship becomes kind of intertwined in the idea that if Rose can embody Ellen through this character of Julie then she can somehow kind of understand her mother deeper and find some part of herself that has been missing through that and then at the other side of the coin you have Ellen that has been deliberately trying to avoid these parts of her past and by doing, doing so you're there is a question of whether Ellen has lost parts for herself in that process as well. So, it ha- so all these questions—it kind of boils down to—is it really Rose's duty to recover them and attempt to make herself complete? And I think the ethical channels that kind of go through this film um, opens up kind of—it kind of opens up with the inversion of these mot- motifs that make something that is already deeply compelling into something really novel and engaging. It's always great when. Um, when films like Rose Place Julie are made because it's already kind of evocative and affecting and beautiful and nihilistic all at the same time but there's a release that follows with like the, the really dark elements in the film that make, even if you're hoping for a little bit of comedy to help dilute the intensity you're kind of grateful for them being there because there's something completely do, completely new and something that you know you don't see every day in cinema so I, th- I thought that I found the whole film really refreshing in the way that it was a completely different film than you were ever expecting it to be.
2: Hmm. On, on that point, uh, and on the subject of comparisons, it remind, I, I found myself really surprised to be reminded of St. Maud, the British horror film directed by Rose Glass, uh, which was one of my favourite films of last year. Um, because the mood and the music similarly to st Maud, drench everything in significance in this almost religious portentousness um that, that reflects the inner turmoil of the characters um and this isn't a horror film though there are horrific things in it and discussed in it but it, it feels like a horror film because because of how it explores these themes of identity regret revenge euthanasia um and so much of that is down to the music and the tone and, and how these eerie soundscapes do so much to set the tone of how the characters are feeling. It was, I, I just thought it was terrific. Um, and I was really surprised at how it drew these bleak tones, uh, these horrific tones from, from quite low action on the screen. It's, really loved it.
1: Yeah. It, it's interesting. the, the, the... Kind of the 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 harder notion coming up there because because you're right I mean it's not it's not a horror film right but one thing that I found quite interesting about the way um the way the relationships progress and how they're portrayed now I don't think it's too much of a spoiler here to say that you know if you watch the trailer for instance I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that obviously the past events that have led to uh, rose being adopted and not being in contact with the parents there's trauma there right okay there is a traumatic background i don't think that that's necessarily you know giving much away there so what's interesting about it is with the way the music works and the, the manner in which she is introduced um particularly the way that she first comes into actual physical contact with um ellen her mother is it's almost like she's kind of ghost it's almost like she's haunting them and it's kind of like this ghost of previous trauma and I, th- I find that presentation really interesting because when Steph's been talking about this kind of subverting things and doing things a bit differently it would be very easy to focus on the Rose character in a particular way and very much focus on um, what it means to her And the f- it's not that the film doesn't do that it does but it does it in a way where this idea of lingering trauma and the effect it has and how that is passed down and what it perpetuates beyond kind of the initial, um, the initial event is really interesting. And I think a lot of that comes down to the script and the way that these relationships have progressed, but also then in the way in which it's actually put together from a technical standpoint with the likes of the music and even the, the editing of particular scenes and confrontations and, and things like that. So I really, I really do think it worked fantastically on that level. I, I, I think the performances really do make this. Um, obviously, Anne Skelly in the central role is, is fantastic. There's one scene in particular where, I mean, she doesn't say anything, but I mean, basically she goes through a full range of emotions in the space of about a minute, and it really is a superb performance. Um, I have a lot of time for Aidan Gillen. He plays this particular type of slimy arsehole with a shitting grin that I I just think he's unsurpassed at, quite frankly. He, um, he was so
2: good. And, and the script serves him very well in this, but he was so good at getting across being a manipulator, yeah, being manipulative exactly. of, of women and being so predatory. There is one scene I'm thinking of where he gets caught off guard a little bit and you can tell he's off guard, but he he has a bit of a break and he so quickly gets back into manipulating and the way he shifts between those two states is just really terrific and really feels true to life
1: yeah and the way the way a lot of that's paced as well um you know the, in particular there's one there's a couple of interactions and in particular points that involve him where honest to god it is absolutely toe curling is absolutely mm-hmm. toe curling and i i think it it's very easy to put that down to maybe just his performance. Um, but I think the way that others bounce, bounce off him and the way in which he's shot and edited really, it, it just brings it together really extremely well. Um, one thing I do want to say, not that I want to open up past discussions, is like three of us on the show this month reviewed Promising Young Woman, right? And I think some of the issues I had with that this would actually make an interesting kind of counterpoint to an extent because I think some of the issues I had with that film, this one, in terms of focusing on the effect of traumatic events and the impact it has on characters and the relationships, to me, this does an absolutely superb job of it. I also think it does it in a slightly more interesting point. You know, I don't want to draw too many comparisons between the two, but it's just I find it interesting um that we've ended up doing this as well in addition to that film because i think there's something about this where to me it feels like it looks at the ramifications of that sort of thing in a much deeper way and the effect it has on people um i really i think honestly i mean i'm not going to keep going on about it i think this is a superb film I, i i struggle to find much fault with it to be honest
3: it's interesting um because it wasn't something that i picked up on until it was mentioned the comparison with um saint Maud and then going back and looking at it in a, thematic, in a thematic way comparison with um promising young women but I, I think that is really interesting because i think one of the things i kind of i thought even though i probably didn't recognize it at the time i kind of i kind of had a feeling when i was watching this film when you first kind of got acquainted with Rose and it was at that point where Rose was seeking out her birth mother and she was um showing up to her set and into and, and her house and um to me I thought like it's kind of little nods to those sort of genres in a way that I think were really clever and quite teasing to not know where it's where it's going and what what path it's going to go down but that kind of I kind of had the feeling that that was going to go down a very psycho chiller stalker route and it was going to be a very much a, a character piece of kind of the way that St. Mod went down and, and to have someone slowly over time kind of losing parts of themselves and their mind and how all that distortion is going to come into play so yeah I think that's a very interesting to look at St. Maud and then look at this film because in a way it did the Kind of the polar opposite of what Mod kind of did, and then I think it's like promising young women as well. I think that it was kind of less interested in having those kind of like <clears throat> those kind of shock moments and that kind of sensationalism that it could have easily went went into. And it's I think instead it was more focusing on it was more of a um, it was more of like a. a, a almost a series of character pieces to me and I think that that worked so much better to when discussing the themes and the and the storyline of that film I think that that worked a lot better for me than not to say that like there was a, a lot of promising young women that I quite liked but I think that that the sensationalist aspect can draw can take more away from these films that have already quite dark subtext than add to
2: yeah I, I don't want to keep ragging on, on Annette but Like I said, we've seen a lot of exploration of these kind of themes of sexual assault recently, and Annette just made me feel like I I don't need to see this from the man's perspective again, whereas this really explores the themes uh, in a thoughtful way and has a strong focus on the women characters, and like you talked about, Jim, the effect on the women characters, the trauma um, and how that distorts their experience, their experience of time. Um yeah, just 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 a good treatment of of those themes.
1: Yeah. I th- I think that's my main takeaway. I mean I mean there's you know I mean I think we, we've all spoken about it. there's plenty to commend the film on a technical level and the performance level, but I think it shows a lot of intelligence in the script. I think it shows a lot of sensitivity in the script as well. It would be very easy to approach this story in a in a sensationalist way, and I, and maybe even offer a little bit of a some sort of false catharsis, and it doesn't do that. It doesn't do that, and I think that's a tricky, tricky story to pull off. Um, but I think it manages it really pretty superbly.
2: Yeah, uh, towards the end when I saw how
1: its themes were intersecting,
2: I, I was really impressed uh, with the writing because it threads them together so well.
0: So Rose plays Julie is currently in uh, in theatres across the UK. So uh, it's a it's a unanimous agreement with the three of you. Uh, you should see it most definitely. Mm. So the third film we're going to review is Gagarin, which is directed by uh, two uh, new filmmakers, uh, their first feature, Fanny Liassard and Jeremy Troul. Um, And Gagarin refers to a large housing project in the outskirts of uh, Paris, or the Bagnures, that's called. Big brutalist buildings they used to, like, to call les cités. Um, And it b- references Yuri Gagarin, who... the first person who uh, went into space but also which this housing project was named after. Uh, So you start with this archive film of of Gagarin coming to um, when it was originally built in the 60s and then it jumps into a modern day story about the end of the life of this community that lives within that um, that housing um, structure which as many know, if you you know the history of Paris is largely uh, the banier is as many immigrant populations, marginalized communities that live there, and we've talked about a lot of films over the years that uh, discuss that. Uh, Les Miserables from L'Ajli, we did we talked about last last year as well that discusses this area and the um, all the things that are you know conflicts that can happen and rise within within there. Um, but the film really focuses on a one main character. Uh, who's also called Yuri, who's a sixteen year old um, black uh, uh, boy who is has been abandoned by his mother and then has um, is is part of a very large, you know, very connected within this community within this housing project. and, uh, f- and starts a relationship with a uh, Roma young girl called Diana. And it takes, um, yeah, as as the as the community is being dismantled and removed from the housing project because they're going to destroy it. Um, so I'd like to hear what you guys think about it. I would say that, um, yeah, I'll tell you what my thoughts are in just a bit.
2: I really enjoyed it. I, I liked it. It's 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 a little slow, but it's quite beautiful in a delicate way, and um, and I think it it treats. Um, these themes around community housing um, and the marginalization of of certain groups of people really well. I I think the way the film thematically links the social aspirations of providing housing to the working class with this 1960s, um, the cultural and technological aspirations of the space race in the 1960s works really well, uh, suggests that we need to get back to that mindset of optimism and community um, that, that that was present back then when, when Gagai went into space. This idea that it is good to look after other people, that seems to be a radical notion nowadays. Um, and it, it intersects its discussion of the working class with the marginalization of the Roma community, Um, There's a character called Diana, played by Lena Cowdery, who is a young engineer, a young woman who helps Yuri um, achieve his dreams. And and yeah, it it ties into um, the marginalization of the Roma through this idea that working class homes and Roma homes can just be demolished or destroyed at a moment's notice and no one seems to care.
0: I mean, I think this hits a lot of my personal, I have a lot of personal interest in the themes of this film uh, for one being a, a Francophile, but one also being just ma- making a film, an archive film, particularly around um, the these, these council houses that were built in Edinburgh and how people are moved out and pl- replaced in these and what, but the, the, the actually original optimistic uh, interest in why they were built to begin with and ha- how they've transformed over time. Um, I really particularly liked the mixture of archive film in this piece um, and uh, it mixed with the, with the narrative story. And uh, having, having heard about what the filmmakers, uh, they, they actually went and spent a lot of time with the community, practically made documentaries with them about the piece and then built a short film, which then turned into a feature film. And it, this is their actual first feature film, this, these two directors. Uh, who made the film, and um, I think it's really, really fascinating because it takes, you, you could imagine doing a documentary film about the story of dem- demolition of this particular large, you know, building uh, with this community, but they've told this really lovely, positive, uh, you know, story about about. Uh, uh, a particular figure dreaming and you know what it is to be a young person and there was a romance and again that's why i bring up with this scene of you know like when they're by themselves now and you know there's all these like like exploring like like dreams within even you know a, a place where you you wouldn't expect you know positive stories to be and i thought it was it was quite lovely the tone in that in that capacity um, worked really well for me
3: Hard, Yeah, I hard agree with every what well, um Amanda and Simon have said. Um, this film, for me, I think has been one of the best that I've had the pleasure of seeing this year. I got so much out of this film. And I think, you know, going back to our discussion about narratives and stuff, I think that the narrative worked so well here. You know, I th- it almost seemed introspective, and I'm not sure if it was. It just seemed to go on a much higher plane than many films that kind of discuss poverty, immigration, the search for family. it To me it was sort of an example of, of magical realism at it mm-hmm. its finest, not just through that kind of dreamlike feel of the cosmos but colliding with the suburbs and Yuri's kind of dissociative escapisms that he has. But I think it's also the balance between you know the themes you, you had like hard-hitting subjects like isolation and poverty, then you had this like second world side of all the pain that transports you to this idyllic side of those dissociations that, and the comfort of hopes and dreams and that sense of optimism that exists without really being in the reality to support it. And I think that's where I go back and I wonder if that's where why my perce- perception of the film was that the writing had to have an introspective quality to it because it really goes into those corners of kind of desolation and brings out something quite beautiful and human that can exist outside of everything on the surface. And there's a really nice buoyancy to this illustration of escapism because it's one where it's simultaneously really liberating, but it can also keep you trapped if you are no longer grounded. And it goes kind of beyond comfort to something that shields you from completely from your situation. In terms of um, the visuals in this film, what I thought was really fantastic was the way that Yuri's kind of imaginative reactions and perceptions are really integrated with his own surroundings because I was expecting the film to go much more, much more down the rabbit hole to show this side, those sides of the narrative. And I think the way that Yuri kind has immersed himself in the world of space through his own recreations of a spacecraft to the parts of the building that kind of trigger these tactile transportations into this dream world that he's built inside his head made the film such a deeply developed character piece. And I think, you know, as a viewer, it's an example of cinema that for me had such like an emotive and informed approach to the realities of feeling left behind in these spaces that of the world that will no longer can accommodate for you. But both um physically and existentially and I think that, that came across really well in that balance of magical realism. I really I really got a lot out from it. So it's it's interesting to see um what other people think about
1: it as well. Wow. Well. Once again, I'm I'm out of step. Oh, no, yeah. no, I, I, <laughs> oh no well, gosh. let's let's not. So, first off, I did like this film. Right, that that's. The, I think overall, overall, I I did, and I I got a lot out of it. I think, in particular, the a lot of the way that it approaches kind of the filming of the the housing, the Gagarin housing project is. It's pretty interesting. And I think some of the the themes that Simon's spoken about in terms of kind of you know how marginalization and the approach to housing for the working class, I think the way in which this is then approached is pretty interesting, right? It, it, in some ways, like sometimes this this block of flats is basically filmed like it's in, you know a Kubrick film, like it's two thousand and one a Space Odyssey or something. It's like twirling around in that sort. Of, and I think, using that sort of those sort of I don't want to say tropes but these sort of things that we kind of associate with space exploration and you know um being in far-flung parts of the galaxy and this sort of thing I think that approach to highlighting kind of isolation and a lack of willingness to engage meaning like there's one scene where you know somebody comes around and inspects the block of flats which Yuri has taken great pains to actually try and repair. And there's kind of a lack of engagement with like the fact that this is actually people, someone's home. Right. And this is somewhere where they have made a life. And it's just, it's very clinical. It's almost like it's kind of, you know, like a pre-flight checklist or something. So a lot of that stuff I find, I find interesting. And I think it's, it deals with that very well. I think the magical realist parts for me and and there are and I think it leans into the more magical realist aspects that Steph has spoken about more in the to my mind anyway, more in the final kind of third of the film. I'm not sure they landed quite as well for me. I'm not sure they elevated it as much as I would have liked them to. They didn't hit for me quite as well. I think overall, I think it's a very good film, um and I think in particular the performances. Um Alseni Baffley's Yuri and uh Lena Kudry is Diana, the the young Roma woman. I think they are they're very affecting. I like I bought into that kind of that that relationship that uh progresses throughout the film. I, I don't think I've necessarily kind of been quite as blown away by it as everybody else here, maybe because those elements didn't click with me as well, but I, I would certainly still recommend the film. I think it's a good film, and I think a lot of the ways it approaches that kind of space-like imagery to presenting um, to presenting the Gagarin project is it's really well done. I, I think that could easily come off as trite or a gimmick, uh, but I don't think it does. Um, so there's a lot to recommend it. I don't. I just don't think those elements hit quite as well for me, if I'm being honest. Yeah.
2: There's, there's shots where uh, Yuri's wandering around the building like uh, like Ripley wandering around the Nostromo in Alien, um, and and the parallels with two thousand one as well. I, I certainly picked up on this this parallel of the buildings with spaceships and space stations mm-hmm. uh, really worked for me. Like Yuri wants to wants to transform the building in his mind so he can so he can travel away from it far away. And, and, yeah, get away from the deprivation that's being caused there.
0: But I'll take a little bit of what you said, Simon, and what you said, Steph, because I, I agree with Steph that this is one of, the, my, one of my favorite films I've seen this year, to be honest. And I think that I wrote certain things down. It's the combination of the way it was framed, the way that it was edited. And the way there was color within a space, and we've talked about this last year with you know with, I f- I forgot the name of the film, but it was a prison that was made beautiful, and you you know, and I actually think what you were saying, Simon, about these projects or these housing cities that were built in the '60s were a very optimistic, idealistic space. And while what has tra- transpired since, you know, whether it's in the UK or whether it's in Europe. You know, is not, not always. It's not. It's not had a good. You know, it's a good storyline, whatnot. It was a very optimistic concept in that, and and it was very, very spacey. It was very, very sort of like idealized in that way. And that this film does a a, in a gorgeous way that like Pedro Almodovar and Wes Anderson get you know uh, get accolades for you know centered shots with blues and colors and stuff that is just. It struck me, I thought I just visually I thought it was gorgeous and it wasn't like I really liked Les Miserables, Lajli's film, but it was frenetic and it was about police violence against the community. And this is a film that's slow and it's edited in this very that sometimes these still shots that but then also some of these like moving shots that you would again connect with. You know, very well-known filmmakers that you know everyone can call. That that's an Almodovar film or something like that. But this film was was done with the, perhaps homages to films like I saw Antonioni in this, like I saw the clist in this film a lot. Um I saw the way that Godard and Antonioni would would sh- show these kinds of brutalist spaces, which are gorgeous and they you know and in, in their original conception. But I also saw. You know, as you said, Kubrick, but I also saw a little bit of High Life, like Claire Denise High Life, in this too. Mm. You know, and I think it, it's incredible for 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 these filmmakers and and this, but also just a story that captivates you. And I I I, I loved the actual the romance of everything and and the personal story there. Um, I, I was blown away by it. Uh, to be perfectly honest.
2: You got me thinking about other films centered on. Uh, community housing projects and old community housing projects, like um, Candyman, the original yeah. candyman and um, and and the housing projects at Caprini Green in Chicago, or Attack the Block, um, mm-hmm. the film set in south london. and and these are all films that that look at community housing through the lens of uh, genre cinema, of horror, sci-fi, right. uh, and in this case, magical realism. And, and it was interesting to me that there's always this fantastical element to these films, as if we can't think of optimistic community housing projects without thinking of them in the same register as fantasy. That there's something that seems uh, inconceivable in the real world about these kinds of um, community housing, of providing cheap, good housing to, to the working class.
3: Yeah, I do think, I think that um, for me, I think one not so much in the fantastical regions, but one, it kind of reminded me of what I think was the first review I ever did for Take One actually, so it's quite nostalgic for me, but um, it really reminded me a little bit. I think um, the whole isolation um, theme in particular, it really reminded me of um, Alexander Morato's um, Socrates um, that came out, I think, 2018, 2019. Um, so quite a few years ago now but I, that, I think it's the whole kind of the element of kind of there are some bits of French new wave and looking at um, these themes with I think it goes back as well this one probably strongly more strongly having those kind of ar- archive footages and in the, in the backdrops so like looking very much into the reality and, and the past realities and how that kind of intertwines with these fantastical elements and where magical realism kind of transports into the into the third half but I think it's really because it it's not usually those those um even though as i was saying which is very true that a lot of films featuring kind of things centered on housing projects do tend to um become very fantastical in different ways in different genres but I think that it's very difficult to go from something um like Gaggerine or like um um, like a lot of those films that showcase these very um, kind of desolate themes and kind of this French new wave backdrop back to go somewhere completely out of out of this well out of um, earth and, out, and into space and into the cosmos and have that, that kind of retelling and have everything kind of in this new perspective and I think that's kind of what I liked about it placing something in a completely different perspective than we, we see it um, usually I think that's where kind of that I think that's why it worked for me quite a lot having that different angle to it
2: I think that point about perspective is really good because I think the film does have an emphasis on seeing on looking from different perspectives on on images uh Yuri looked across the projects for his telescope he watches different people across the community who exercise together who who live in this space and um the the young actor Buffelli is is terrific at getting across that subtle attentiveness, that that seeing from his perspective, that that looking, that paying close attention to things that people mostly don't notice.
0: Did I mention there's a really great Sarah Gainsbourg song in the film? No. <laughs> 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 I'm just a not so secret moment of love of Sarah Gainsborg, but there's a really great little moment with the like where the three of the people who are still in the in the project to Project, project together have this like dance scene, and it's an absolutely phenomenal Sarah Gainsborough film a music m- song that I hope uh, will play as part of the EHFM version. <laughs> um, which hint, also made me happy.
1: Hints to Jim. There. Yeah, hints to you, Jim.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think overall, with Jim's few quibbles here and there, uh, this is a great film for you to check out for sure. Hey, so the, the fourth film we're going to review is The Last Forest, which as we mentioned is part of the Take One Action Film Festival, which is currently, well, it's, it's going to be happening very soon in Scotland. Um, and the director is Louise Bolognese. And Steph, why don't you tell us about this film? Um,
3: so The Last Forest is um, basically a look inside the life of the Yanomami tribe that are indigenous to the Amazon rainforest. Um, it's looked at in a sort of observational do- documentary with stage sequences that convey parts of their culture, belief, um, beliefs, uh, way of life, along with the problems that they face from gold prospectors who are threatening their, ra- their natural environment. I won't go into too much more detail in the summary there because I feel like we're probably going to reveal quite a lot more of what's going on in this um, through the discussion. So I'll pass it over to someone to to say what they think of it. Um,
2: yeah, I, I I really liked how it shot the Yanomami living their daily lives, um, cleaning, fishing, uh, forcing away uh, gold prospectors from from their part of the of the forests, um, yeah, it, it really does well at establishing how divorced uh, these people are from white people, um, how white people don't see them or listen to them, and how they're, they're suspicious of gifts, uh, of gifts of weapons. Um, there was an interesting thread about younger Yanomami trading the sort of freedom of nature for the lures of, of the city, of, of what they called the non-natives. Um, and how modernity started to, to sneak into the documentary, starting with T-shirts and continuing on to to, to, to people using CB radios. Um, and I thought those bits about when it was discussing the impact that gold prospecting is having on the Yanomami by by polluting the rivers and tearing apart the land, I thought they were very effective. I, I was less engaged with the stage recreations of their kind of creation myths of of their god, Omama, sort of creating life, uh, creating human life, and uh, this kind of creation myth of uh, an underwater woman and brothers fighting over her. I I was, yeah, less engaged with that, but I thought the other parts of the documentary were really interesting.
1: I think... um i I'd, I'd, I'd agree with Simon there i think um so I, I i like this i got a lot out of it um some of the we've we've spoken a lot about like hybrid documentaries and you know documentaries with staged sequences on the show we've kind of done the full range of them right from the from stuff like this to stuff where it's just kind of like little embellishments to um what is mostly you know archive or talking head footage all the way through to um something like bloody nose empty pockets where essentially like you could argue like the like almost huge swathes of it are are what you could call staged um I think i, I would agree with Simon in the sense that the the more staged elements of this didn't blend as well for me as I maybe would have liked them to I d- I still got a little bit out of them and I think it's it's it was an interesting presentation because of the kind of colour it adds to the actual um, culture of the Anomami. I think you probably needed a little bit more about some of the individuals they focus on, maybe to kind of see how that then feeds into their everyday life. But I appreciated it without thinking it necessarily blended that well with other aspects of the film. I think the thing that I took the most from with this is actually, you know, with it, and you know, it's a documentary. I don't think we're really bound by spoilers here, but the thing that will actually linger with me the most are those parts where there's some engagement with um the world outside that community. And particularly the final scenes. I think what struck me about it is just quite how stark it made the idea. That in trying to preserve nature, preserving kind of indigenous communities and indigenous ways of life, they still have to engage in on the terms of the the white people they are surrounded by on the other side of the rivers is kind of constantly um, highlighted here. It's kind of like there, there's this literal kind of divide in that sense. I think that will stay with me, and I think for for part of the festival, this part of like take one action, thinking about their their. Um, their focus and kind of like how they then discuss films afterwards? I think that to me will probably be the most interesting aspect of it for me. It's this idea of quite how clear and quite how galling it is to see, even in trying to preserve these sort of communities, the way in which they need to engage to do that. It's still very much not on their terms. And I found the film presented that really pretty well to me.
0: I actually probably disagree with both of you because normally I am not one of those people who loves that hybrid. And I forgot the Italian film that was very like a hybrid sort of pre kind of half narrative sort of film documentary that we, we, we did a couple, a couple months ago. But I think the point of these staged uh, staged in quotes, if you will, uh, like, uh, like, for telling the stories of, you know, their culture was trying to tell it through their narrative, their, their storytelling and their language. And I, th- I find that a lot of times with these kinds of documentaries that going into indigenous cultures that we we don't know about and we're learning about, that there is this form of exoticism. And this was an attempt very much to be telling it from there as much as they can, as much as we can as a, as a film. A film is obviously a different eye and it's always going to be somewhat objectifying something that you're looking at and judging it and whatnot um from a subjective perspective that 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 was the attempt of that and i thought that actually worked really well i thought it was really beautiful i also thought there was a lot of we talk a lot about this in terms of narrative films but moments where there's lingering on especially particularly the the female the female woman that was focused a lot on the on, on it was where well, there was lots of moments that i just i just felt i felt really connected to the way it was filmed, the, you know, like, like the, 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 the space of silence that you kind of learn, you know, you, you learned about their stories, the culture and whatnot through, through silence and not so much heavy handed. And only at the very end, do you realize that, I mean, you, there are these moments where the, the, the external culture is coming in and why they, you know, and, and that's why that story is telling you that there's that, that, you know, this is ha- having an impact on their culture, but at the very end, you're realizing the environmental impact that this is having. And, um, you know, and, and, and I think it was really impressive to kind of keep that at the end. And, you know, I, I, I generally hate the, like, captions at the end saying, you know, the 30,000, da, 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 you know, d- data, but I thought it was it was handled really respectfully and I, I, everything about that made me really, really love this film because I, I, I thought it was a very, very respectful film, and beautiful, and I learned a lot. Um, in a way, I, I, I would maybe some, sometimes argue a, a different opinion, but I thought it worked really well.
1: Yeah, something that, something that I, 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 didn't mention there that I'm glad, glad you did is actually how the film looks. Like it, it, like it's actually quite stunning, actually, in points. And I think that's. That's pretty much true across the board, regardless of what kind of, you know, what kind of approach the segment is going for. So I think that's that's an important thing to know uh, as well. I think it is an absolutely superb looking film. I think despite the problem and problems is a bit strong. Like I, I, I don't know, really but despite the the I, I wouldn't necessarily pick out the the more staged elements as as a highlight, is maybe the way I'd put it. I think they were they they, they, w- they wouldn't be at the top of the list for me. But I think overall the effect it has of not exoticizing this community that you spoke about Amanda I think that's an important aspect of it there's not for me anyway there's certainly not an ounce of that here and I think when you're presenting this sort of um this sort of situation the sort of story it'd be very easy to do that um particularly from the perspective of um you know somebody from uh Brazil at large in a sense you know a, a developed nation it would be very easy to present this as like a, some sort of you know this community is some sort of curio and i don't think it's, it's done that way and i think it would be it would be easy to not do that so in that respect those segments preventing that and adding to adding to the film's kind of desire to push away from that in that respect yes that's probably something i picked up on but yes i would appreciate that aspect of it for for certain. i think
3: i think that yeah i i would agree probably more with amanda because I mean, I, I mean, it's consistent for me to be a defender <laughs> of stage segments usually, but um I do understand. I think for me that I quite I love the juxtaposition in this documentary and the way it evolves the story from putting like footage pre- preparation hunt, for hunting, warding off trespassers on their land to you know sharing their dreams by the fire, and then you have their history and their creation of beliefs in almost a re- ethereal way alongside this naturalism of the land and. In a much more mystical way where they hold their own beginnings and I quite like the way they they had that essence to it but they also went into kind of showing their beliefs in this more I suppose in some ways it's a little bit distracting because it is showing a completely separate story linear to the one that you know we're hearing already in, in a different way but I think it kind of shows this kind of it does have this respect, and shows that you know these these beliefs that they have are have very much like many people. You know, even in man-made society in the more developed world, like their beliefs kind of inform their own culture and their own way of life. And I think that that's shown like that kind of how important these these beliefs are to these people that have kind of built their own society around them. Um, I think that these kind of documentaries are so important in many ways after watching this, you kind of learn so much about um, culture and and native um, populace that is so hidden away. We kind of have this idea that's sort of instilled into us from from being very much within an acceptable form of society, as it were, that indigenous tribes are so far away from all of us and so alien that they're almost a different kind of person. And it's just so fallacious in the the centre. And these films expose that. They're so educational. One of the most, I think, powerful similarities that this documentary touches on is that the theological beliefs have always been a large part of their society. And as you get further into the philosophies that they share, you see that um, the women basket weaving to obtain, you know, income separate from their male counterparts to achieve this sort of independence. And it's like a looking glass at times reminding what we we see as as kind of distinct in our our own like so-called evolved places in the world and you know we don't own these observations you know they're not intrinsic to places but rather to the people that have been interpreting the world longer than they've been told they're allowed to. I quite like that that was a highlight for me I think of this documentary.
2: Yeah I really admired how much respect uh, the documentary clearly had for for the Yanomami and 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 its approach of of letting the subjects talk for themselves um and and portraying the film entirely through their voices. Uh, I thought that was a really strong approach. It's it's actually credited as co-written by um their shaman, Davi Kopanawa, Yanomami. And I think that singular voice, that voice of of those people really comes across well.
0: It's a different form of yeah storytelling. and like film has a, we have these constant structures on how we expect a film should be, and I think like taking a chance in that way and 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 by crediting it that way too is very interesting. The one thing I I really noticed about this, and I think we all we we tend to notice this as a group, is how impressive the sound design was of this film. For me, I think I'm particularly because like as a Floridian there was a, like an early shot of some sort of like cutting up of gator meat. And um, I'm obsessed in a very petrified way of gators, but yeah, it was very, very hard to watch. And yet at the same time made me realize how um not just visually attractive and gorgeous. This film is made, but the sounds of this society and everything was a huge part of this film for me. And I thought it was amazingly done for a documentary. I was really, really impressed. So, um, yeah, the 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 expertise of the actual filmmaking on those two things made made this for me, especially.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm pleased you brought that up, actually, because it, it was something that struck me and I've completely forgotten to to mention it. And, and when we're talking about kind of like staged elements of this film, I mean, frankly, the sound design, I mean, that is a staged element. That's something that will have to have been done you know, largely in you know post production, or, or had to have stuff you know done alongside it. But I think that that's one of the one of the parts of it where I think it really helped to to get across. The actual, you know, way of life and like some of the some of the things that were being depicted. So I'm glad you mentioned that. I think that yeah, the sound design. There's lots of little bits. Even some of the segments um, that Steph mentioned about, you know, like preparing to go hunting and confronting um, prospectors and things. Even the sound design around those segments, they, it's really superbly done. It's a, it's a very well made film. I mean, I think that's basically what we, we we're all really agreeing on here. It's it's an interesting film. I think it also probably gives rise to a lot of interesting discussions as well which of course is kind of the point of that that of of the take one action festival right i mean i've been to a a number of their a number of their events and i I really like the way they're done i think this is a film that's kind of a really good choice for that sort of approach they take to audience participation with the subject afterwards as well
3: i think you've just got i think that as well i just admire it so much about how not exploitative it was Mm -hmm. at all because I like even I think that if I can remember right I was learning about the Yanomami tribe and watching all sorts of probably not very PC videos anymore and since like primary school and stuff I think it was that focus on these very otherworldly people that are genuinely quite scary or quite you know something to be feared because it's not something that you it's not something that we encounter but I think there's I think I just love I have so many different thoughts and feelings about this I think it's I think many people do when you watch something that you just don't see every day in any sense especially in documentaries and I think like one of the most poignant messages that really stayed with me after it was just this essence of these indigenous communities that like survive through not just environmental but also colonial and man-made threats to their home and their really their true like devotion and undying love for their birthplace and I think a lot of people even with a documentary so visually stunning and immersive can never truly understand even a fragment of a way of life that is so different like that but the way of kind of the feeling of home and sanctuary and that innate need to protect um that is something that definitely translates and amplifies for this film I think I like the way that it the way that it put something that's often seen as very unusual into something that's very natural and very relatable because you know it it is, it is very much a very respectful documentary to showcase life that's very different from you know communities that we that we're really aware of in everyday life. Um, so yeah I, I thought I found that really impressive.
0: Agreed very much and highly recommend and if you're in Edinburgh um, take One Action is showing it in person at their uh, festival on the 25th but it will also be online um, Take One Action Film Festival as well. Mm. So we're finally coming back to our segment of short films that we recommend. Um, The Edinburgh Short Film Festival is coming up in a bit. Uh, So, uh, yeah, we're we're, we're looking at short films as we love here at uh, Cenotopia. And going around, uh, we've. I think we've. We don't do the m- one minute limit anymore, <laughs> Gem. I think. I, I've I've,
1: so, I've stopped fighting that battle. I didn't yeah. want to get. I, I didn't want to get a reputation to sort of like you know standing over people with a stopwatch. So so no, they're, they're in spirit. In spirit, it should be short, but I'm not going to. I I do want
0: to bring back our um, and Steph and I. I think had a chat over uh, Twitter about this. I do want to bring back the challenge, the rewatch a film. And Steph had a really great, great idea coming up. So hopefully we can we can do that coming up in the future. Um, But we're we're on short film recommendations. So Steph, would you mind giving your recommendation for our audience? Um,
3: So my recommendation um, for this month is a short film called Polly Has the Keys. It's directed by Liz Kingsman and written by Sophia Brodo. It's pretty short. It's only around eight minutes long, I think. And it's pretty much the story of a man who's kind of prim and proper and keeps himself. And he moves into an apartment block next to these two young wannabe bohemian-like women that prove to be a bit of an eccentric nuisance. It's an interesting flick, and it's a very satirical look into the semi-new mumblecore, mumblecore film genre, with a very aesthetic nod to Francis Ha. It's quite, fu- it's quite funny and clever, and almost seems to have a simple message of teasing viewers in the sense that oh, you love Francis Ha and appropriate behaviour, drinking buddies, and they're all and think they're all deep, etc. Well, this is how unsufferable these people would be in real life. <laughs> and yeah, I do love a lot of those films, but I think that Kingsman and Brody will def- definitely, certainly have a point to make there so it's worth checking out it's available on vimeo i will link it um to the i will link it after so it's available for everyone
0: great that sounds like that definitely sounds like a film i want to see um so how about you simon
2: uh, yeah i have a short film that i saw at fantasia fest uh, earlier in the summer um it's a short film called sexy furby um directed by nicole dodona and adam wilder and it very much has what it says on the tin. It is about a suicidal young woman whose life changes when she encounters a sexy Furby. Remember the, talk, the talking toy from the late 90s, I think, uh, from the 90s? Um, and he is sexy. He's got uh, a six-pack. He's um, fully equipped, as it were, and he uh, bleeds money so yeah the film it, it's a weird film it's a very strange aesthetic it looks strange uh the furby itself is strange it's a, it's it's very weird sensibility but it's got a specific weird sensibility that i like uh that we've seen in uh greener grass in too many cooks um and in other other short films. It's, yeah, weird in a specific way that I really
1: liked.
0: Love it. That sounds really good. And uh, Jim? Um,
1: So in my case, I've gone with... So I I watched a film at Toronto Film Festival, Encounter, um, starring Riz Ahmed, which is directed by uh, Michael Pierce. Now, I haven't seen his first film, Beast, which is apparently very well regarded, but... I decided to go and have a little look at um, some of the shorts that he has made previously. So the one I'm going to go with is um, Keeping Up With The Joneses, uh, which centers upon, it's about 25 minutes long, something like that, Um, and it centers upon two criminals who basically kidnap an MP's wife uh, because they have unspecified during during the, the short dealings with him that they are you know they're they're wanting to take a hostage to to basically move things along and it it's it it's tonally very interesting uh, it's quite dark it is quite violent um but it's also really quite amusing at points i think it does that sort of a sort of dark comedy essentially like, that we do like, i think maybe riders of justice is something that we've looked at um in recently uh on the show where i think it's, it kind of has that that tone And I think it does it extremely well. You can see kind of elements of his later films in it, or at least I saw elements of the way he kind of chooses shots and encounter and things and the way he develops tone, uh, very evident here. Um, The performances are all really good. In particular, I kind of, I I particularly enjoyed Adil Akhtar as uh, Jerry, who's one of the the criminals. He has a couple of pretty amusing scenes. But as I say, I think the way it balances tone is, is very entertaining and very uh interesting and i think as we know from the way i've reacted to a lot of films on the show these films that balance tone really well are things that i think are particularly skillful and i think this is quite a good example of it so i think it's available on vimeo we'll put a link in the description to it um but yes uh, keeping up with the jones is directed by michael pierce that's going to be my recommendation this month
0: Great, thank you, and that sounds wonderful as well. So I'm I'm going with something I've been I've been watching less films to be honest uh, this past few months and uh, editing more than that and making films. So I'm picking an inspiration of mine, which is uh, a photographer and filmmaker William Klein, and he actually made the, the feature film The French about the French Open, which is literally my most favorite thing ever. Watching documentaries of 1980s French French Open tennis, and uh, but also made this really lovely short film called broadway by light in 1958 and it's 10 minutes of really gorgeous close-ups of times square and i think it's just it's absolutely stunning and it's a great inspiration to see way that you you can film light and places that you're you're so commonly seen from a different perspective and in a very beautiful way and so i highly recommend it if you if you like that kind of stuff that's my recommendation this month Mm. okay so that wraps us for september and um what's our plans for what what is everyone's plans for the rest of the month and upcoming anything to anything to suggest Steph? um i'm just working quite a lot just now i'm hoping to
3: get because i've only been kind of dabbling a bit in the festivals this year because i've not had too much time to cover quite a lot of them so i'm hoping to make um make some space to get because i've got a couple of a couple of features and things that we want to get done for a while so i'm hoping to kind of make some room for that so um that might not be until unfortunately christmas time um, when um, things kind of calm down a little bit but um i don't have any immediate plans i'm trying to um do quite a lot just now so i'll see as <laughs> sort of just sticking a few things throwing a few things at the wall and see what sticks so um i will hopefully have a bit more Um, to say um, in their next chat but yeah pretty much just um, working and trying to get um, more into um, um, the festival season as it's coming up.
0: Yeah and it is coming up for sure there's going to be lots going on. How about you Simon?
2: Yeah I was fairly busy over the summer with conferences and uh, with writing a book Um, but that should be out in October so I'm relatively free now to get start getting back into film writing again, hopefully, um, maybe covering some films, maybe checking out what festivals I can um, over the festival season. But yeah, hopefully we'll have a bit more time for for actual film criticism.
0: And tell everybody your title of your book that's coming out in in, in the autumn
2: yeah um so it's from bearborough press a small press in ireland it's called uh, the fire in which we burn tv and trauma uh, time and trauma in contemporary television um and it's yeah a selection of essays on on the theme of time and trauma in contemporary television contemporary here meaning including a show that ended 20 years ago but never
0: mind <laughs> still contemporary very yeah, much right love it. Yeah, no, I'm very that that sounds like totally up my alley. I'd love to watch, I'd love to read it. So, hopefully I'll I'll get a copy. Um Super. Uh Jim, how about you?
1: Um, I'm I'm hoping to make a bit more time for film watching and film festivals than I've had over the past couple of months. Um, I, I, I seem to be done with House Moves at the moment, which I've done three times in the past two wow. months. So I've got to vote and I'm done with that. Um, but yeah, I think there, I suppose the big one is probably is, is London Film Festival, which I think will be going on around about the time we broadcast next. Um, so there's a lot of interesting stuff there. I've booked a couple of things in person and hopefully that will... I'll, I'll be able to go ahead with that uh, reasonably comfortably. There's also a lot of big films coming out, actually, that I'm quite interested in, in See, You, you know, basically all these things that have been delayed for about you know, you've got a new Bond coming yeah. out, June, all this sort of stuff. So hopefully I can make a bit of time to to go see some of these things. Um, but yeah, and then there's other film festivals apart from London that are happening. They do have that kind of hybrid press element. So hopefully I'll be able to see some see some smaller stuff as well um and maybe do some write-ups and maybe even talk about some of them on the show
0: yeah no and um i'm just not going to give up i'm going to keep uh, running outdoor screenings I, I you know i'm like i'm i'm total i, I love rain um so this weekend <laughs> um i'm going to open and uh we're going to be me and my colleagues of partisan escapes are going to going to run aquarella, as we mentioned, but you can join us virtually if you'd like and stay tuned for more information of our October screening for The Illusionist in Edinburgh, which is our grand finale, but also we'll let you know a little bit more about our plans of um, a lovely uh, documentary, uh, a Japanese documentary, um, festival that we're doing uh, as part of the Japan strand, which is part of our Cenotopia doc, which curated by Ren Skitani, who's been on our um, podcast many times before. So um, lots of things in the works uh, at Cenotopia as well. Uh, But anyway, we hope you enjoyed this this show. Thank you to our team for being here and giving um, their amazing opinions about these films. Hope you go check them out and um, please always contact us. Let us know if you want uh, us to review any things. I hope that we'll bring back our uh, challenge project because I think that was quite fun. And um, yeah, uh, at Cenotopia on Twitter and uh, Cenotopia at Cenotopia Hub on Instagram. Uh, So check us out, let us know and, and see you next time.